All right, welcome on into the show. My name's Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur. He's back, and he is, quote, and this is a direct quote I heard at one of your shows. Mr. All the ladies are swooning over him. It's Benny Horowitz. I'm not fucking kidding. Excuse me? At, You've, you overheard this at one of my shows? At one of the Gaslight shows. and it's Tell this, me more. Tell me everything. It is, it, is a, it is a source very close to my personal situation. That's right. Uh, the girlfriend was like, oh, my God, all the women at this show are swooning over the guy on the drums. <gasps> wow. Wait. Wait, wait, wait. The guy I had on the drum head? No, the drum no, no, head? no, 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 no. Okay, because okay. <laughs> Tim Meadows is a very, very sexually ambitious man. I thought that might, that might have been it. Well, that's nice to hear, yeah. Denny, because usually when I go up there, I feel like a little bloated and kind of fat and self-conscious. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, do I even know how to do this? <laughs> so the idea that I can come across to the world as some confident Danny Trejo or something is... It's very nice to me. So, and see, wow. swoon. I know. You know. You know, if they were swooning, wouldn't I know? No, wouldn't I notice. Like I see, like, <laughs> oh, someone looking at me swooning, or you know, maybe, maybe some male or female underwear winding up on stage. You know, something fun. You know, I think that your crowd kind of likes to keep it close to the vest. A little bit, so it's like it, it's like a secret infatuation. But so tell me, yeah. after the show, are there people? Are there people who go home and fantasize about me? Yes. Wow. And then they tune that into the tuning. That is stunning <laughs> to think about. It makes me really happy, actually. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Oh man. Right. But sex symbol. Never thought of myself like that. Come on, I've been trying to prop you up on on, on this on this image for a couple years now. Benny Horowitz, the sex symbol. <laughs> nah, I just I don't. Well, listen. All about that. Paul big... Rudd. Paul Rudd got voted like sexiest man alive. That's true. So I'll never claim to understand <laughs> what's sexy anymore. <laughs> I, like i don't get it you know yeah there's jason momoa like exists in the world and they gave it to paul rudd so i maybe maybe i am yeah I, I don't really understand the barometer anymore you know it's very true but what's up dude how was everything we are back ready for another edition but you've been you've been going everywhere kind of like uh what's that what's that a hank Williams song i've been everywhere man yeah. that's been you yeah it's funny it's like when when these tours got popped up and you see them on paper, it's like, oh, it's just two tours. You know, one is like three weeks, one is three and a half weeks. You're like, no problem, bust it out. And then by the end of it, you know, by the last couple of shows, you're like, holy shit, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. You know, it's like just this rip roaring. And, you know, you, I kind of forgot like how, how quickly the whole thing can take you and how you got to, you know, lose your mind a little bit to even like adapt to it and then mm -hmm. jumping back home. And that it's, it's a mind fuck. It's yeah. really like, it's a very interesting thing. I came up with a little bit of a theory this time. Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot, but it's like, you know, I think, uh, everybody like musicians and entertainers and even athletes and stuff, you know, a lot of times later in life fall into patterns of, you know, drug and alcohol abuse and stuff. And I think people find it more of like a personality trait or like something that happens to these people when 
the longer and longer I do this, I think there's a real physiological connection between, you know, jumping up on stage every night and having a massive blast of adrenaline and serotonin and, you know, to the absolute max it can go. And then, you know, supposedly coming home and supposedly, you know, you're supposed to be even dead keeled and even in regular life. And, uh, when you're used to such extreme ups and downs, I think your mind and your body starts to try to find interesting ways to, <laughs> to, to get that feeling. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like, so I think that that's like a double-edged sword. A, I think, you know, musicians and stuff should get a little more of a pass <laughs> <laughs> as far as like where their heads are at and what happens to them. But also like there should probably be a little more awareness yeah. about that and, so people can sort of stay ahead of it, you know? Yeah, it definitely seems like a big mental health thing. I mean, so for you, right? So I, because the the entire time I'm like trying to figure out what your show day is like. And, and I know that that'd be like popular like vlog content. But like, so right. these shows get done at about, what, like 11, 12 and stuff like that. Uh, and then you get on the bus and you're just like doing the damn thing. So kind of take me through like, because it, it seems like you could enter the Twilight Zone and kind of lose track of like time and space and everything when on the road. Yeah, well, I mean, it quickly by default goes to that. And it almost falls into like, you know, I used to work nights. Yeah. And, you know, when you're, say, like, like you said, getting off stage at like 11 o'clock and you know filled with adrenaline and i go and i take a shower and you know that's when you eat dinner because i can't really eat like a lot of dinner prior you know because yeah. i'm too heavy and stuff and so all of a sudden you're showered and you're eating and you're chatting with people and calming down and it's like one o'clock in the morning yeah and then you know they'll say bus call is two o'clock and you know the last thing i want to do is sit on a parked bus so you kind of poke around until two in the morning, then go on the bus and other things happen. <laughs> and before you know it, it's like, and this I'm not even talking about drugs and yeah. stuff like that. It's literally like, oh, the mighty Boosh is on, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> I'll watch that for an hour. And before you know it, like I'm in like a 10 o'clock bedtime routine when yeah. I'm home. But, you know, before I know it, I'm in like a three, four in the morning bedtime routine where, you know, I'm I'm starting to push noon the following morning and stuff and it's like it just flip-flops so quickly it's really like a physical anomaly in a lot of ways absolutely brutal but dude i want to talk about some of these venues that you went to because there was one um dude i was trying to go to this show but the new venue at fenway tell me about oh it. yeah that I seemed fucking, fucking cool i was in red sox <laughs> you know what's funny about that venue is yeah. like the red sox own the venue wow so normally, you know, musicians come in, they kind of have their fill of a place and stuff. This was like, no, 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 fuck you. <laughs> like Xander Bogarts is here. Like you guys are like second fiddle and you got to follow our rules, you know? Uh, <laughs> so that that was a funny part. And it was a game day as well. So like it was an extra, an extra clusterfuck for sure. Um, but kind of exciting. And the venue itself was really cool. I mean, it's like, you know, brand new you know like all the like the crew of ours was so happy because of these giant brand new venues just the, all the audio and all the technical stuff is so sharp for them that like it's a very easy day you know for a crew mm -hmm. like that um you know i miss like in uh some of the cities like boston and dc philly 
you know, we were ambitious with venues and we played bigger places when you normally have. And they all happened to be like very beautiful theaters and beautiful rooms. And we had quite cool shows there. So um, it kind of led to, you know, one thing which was cool is, you know, there's a lot of stuff on handwritten and get hurt that kind of like in my head was sort of like built for big rooms. Like the drums are kind of like those big mean drums that should like affect out and like kind of the rooms are starting to fit the sound a little. I'm like, all right. I'm like too much blood. All of a sudden sounds really big. <laughs> like in one of these giant theater rooms when yeah. in like a bar, it maybe didn't fly as nice, yeah. you know? So it's like a, but I think that's what a lot of these touring cycle has been is like, it's almost like a, a reevaluation adjustment of how we're going to do this now. Yeah. You know, how we're going to do it personally, physically, uh, how we're going to do the show to age gracefully and make sure that like, this is staying fluid mm -hmm. and staying in the same direction. Uh, and you know, you can't just like push the same buttons you used to push. You kind of have to, search around and figure some new avenues out. And I think that's a lot of what's going on. Yeah. So, you know, you talked about a lot of these newer venues. I mean, um, is it kind of sad that now they're in these like entertainment centers? Cause there's like the Anthem in DC. There's like this whole like waterfront thing. It's, it's not so much the like, Oh, like on the other side of, of the tracks and we're just going to roll in our van a little bit. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's a wildly different experience. Yeah. Um, and for a band like us, it's working right now, but it's not to say it's like better or worse, you know? Yeah. But that's the thing with a lot of these places, you know, like the guy who runs the Anthem in DC <laughs> is the same guy who runs 930 Club. Mm, yeah. So, <laughs> like, you know, you're in that venue and you still have the 930 cupcakes and ah, stuff like that. And that shit's yeah. still there. So it's like, you know, and, and in reality, you know, there's some like corporate overlord <laughs> shit going on with all this, yeah. like, you know? most of the rooms we played on this tour are live nation rooms. And there mm. is a reason for that. So, you know, um, we could get into a huge conversation about the pitfalls of touring and <laughs> the fact that there were a number of people who went nowhere near this tour, didn't have to play and didn't have to write music who are coming home with more money than I am. Mm. So there's <laughs> a lot of problems with the music business. And, uh, yeah, we could do a whole separate podcast. Oh, about that. And we have. And I'm sure, you know, glad to know that, you know, because, you know, we've come into some money from the Live Nation crew that they're still on the chopping block. But, uh, yeah, let's uh, yeah. the Live Nation gets behind the tune up. No more <laughs> plugs. No more free plugs. They've for taken Nation. enough. Oh, uh, but the PNC show, man. Tell me about it. Just epic. You yeah. Know? I mean, it's the usual like Jersey yeah. deal where you know there's so many people around and yeah. family and extra things to deal with by the time you get on stage and it's like 40 degrees out <laughs> and it's you're a little frazzled you know and i wish it wasn't the case but you know uh if people saw like you know the the show in pittsburgh like five <laughs> nights before they probably saw a better show mm. they saw a tighter band yeah. for sure because everyone's just so fucking out of their minds yeah. at those shows and there's so much extra pressure and it's you know it's a bit of a head fuck but uh, i had a lot of surreal moments you know thinking about the past and you know my family being there and stuff like that it was it was a heck of a way to end the end yeah. the program but 42 degrees 
for a drummer outside. <laughs> it's not the easiest. I had hand warmers. Uh, yeah. The whole deal. I was trying to stay stay legit out there. Love that. And the kids were there. The kids showed up. Yeah, and uh-huh. was that the first time or like not the first time that, that they've seen not you? Not the on first the stage time they've like seen that. me play, yeah. but you know, getting to an age where it's more significant, yeah. you know. So that's it's it's special. It's very cool. That's really cool. Well, the entire experience, I I, I gotta tell you to like see you up there like doing the art at like peak happiness and like what the arts and everything could possibly be was really really super inspiring so thanks man well you want to know what segment is inspiring each and every time we do it uh don't know it is in case you may have forgotten it is this day in music history all right benny what do you got as i uh every time you know since we've been doing it live i have the Sounder here, and I just forget to get it. But what do you got? This day music history. Penny, you know what we're going to do to start off this year? What? I want you to go first. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Why don't you ever go first? Oh, because I'm you chivalrous. Just give it to me, you know? <laughs> you kick this one off. All right, Benny. Well, on this day in 1990, I'm really going to go out of uh, left field for the tune-up audience. Leonard Bernstein died of pneumonia. And why am I bringing up a, a composer that put together the scores for West Side Story on the waterfront, which is, you know, a little based in Hoboken a little bit, so I guess there's a New Jersey tie. No, I'm bringing up this because with the Hollywood connection and everything, his life is coming to the big, str- big screen, and he's going to be played by Bradley Cooper. Whoa. So I bring this up to kind of dive into his life getting the stars born treatment because Bradley's directing it, he's producing sure. it, he's doing the whole damn thing. So this day, uh, Leonard Bernstein died in 1990 so that Bradley Cooper could probably try to get his next Oscar. You know, you know me, I'm a, I'm a Cooper guy. Yeah. So that sounds exciting. I'd, 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 I'd watch this picture. <laughs> I, gotta... I like West Side Story. <laughs> you, did, do you know I was in West Side Story? Oh, no. No, you had high school? Rutgers? Oh, 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 that, oh. Jokes. The jokes. No, I was in West Side. No, I'm being serious. I'm being serious. My buddy, Mike Greenstein, was the lead. He was Tony. Mm. And I was Riff. Okay. I can see it. Sturm to worm. (laughs) Boom to tomb. I know the lines. Oh, I love it. Um, There's been a lot of music movies. I saw this uh, Kate Blanchett movie, Tar. Okay. Where she's like, she plays a fictionalized composer who kind of like loses her shit. Um, great movie. I'd go see it, but it completely tells on itself at the end. Anyway. Okay. Okay. All right. What about my, yeah. my this day? What do you got? So today in 1972, Michael Jackson's Ben, hmm. of course I had to cover this <laughs> subject, hits number one in the US, but unknowingly to most people, This song is about a boy and his love for his pet rat. Did you have a pet? Now, I love when weird songs like that go to number one. And it was because of the movie Ben, which was a sequel to Willard. And in both films, Ben is a pet rat who leads a super intelligent rat colony that turns on humans and begins killing them. (laughs) In the second movie, Ben is befriended by a young boy, which is what the song is about. So. The film wasn't too big, but Ben went on to be this huge song. And I think very few people knew Michael Jackson was singing about a boy and his love for a pet rat, you know? Yeah. Now, have you ever had a pet rat? 
Not a pet rat. I had a, I had a couple guinea pigs one summer. I think my third grade class had guinea pigs. I got to take them home for the summer, oh. and one of them died. Oh my gosh! Uh, that's probably part of the reason I'm a musician doing yeah. podcasts even today. <laughs> it's, it's the lasting effects of that. Don't bring that up again. <laughs> oh man! Well, Benny, let's get into lasting effects, shall we? And somebody who has had a lasting effect on my heart, Rihanna. Mm. Mm. So since we la- <laughs> I know, I really built it all the way up there and kind of pushed Oh, it no, I'm okay. a fan. Okay. Don't worry. Well, since the last time we potted over here, uh, the NFL, among other things, announced that uh, Rihanna will perform at the Super Bowl halftime uh, in Glendale, Arizona. You know, it's a familiar place for Giants fans. Um, in the first year where the halftime show will be sponsored by Apple Music and not Pepsi, um, she makes her first performance return since 2018, and she hasn't put out new music since 2016, so a lot of people are anticipating that. But uh, this is all brought up as a non-sequitur to bring up, I want to start the campaign right here, right now. Rihanna, Gaslight, Super Bowl. Who says no? Oh, like a lot of people. <laughs> I think I'd say no. I don't want to play the fucking Super Bowl show. You know what we'd have to do to make that entertaining? <laughs> for the for the 400 people at home who'd be like oh the 59 so there'd be about 100 million who are going what the fuck is this no uh no that's not happening but love rihanna mm. you know i Bendy. um think she's a great she's, she's fucking super bowl yeah it's halftime she's a pop star she's great tons of people love her will probably be in conjunction with her having like new music and some corporate takeover for something it's it's perfect yeah. rihanna why not like i'll watch her at the half let's go now we're going to get to the football in just a little bit but any chance big blue return to arizona you know the year i try to protest the nfl <laughs> officially is the, the first year in like a decade the giants are really intriguing you know it's it's what a fucking bummer but it's fun yeah it's, but no, I, I don't know if we're getting there with uh with Daniel Jones quite yet. Danny he Dimes might be our stopgap guy. Oh. All right. Well, I love it. Rihanna, Fendi, um, low key billionaire, Rihanna. So is that right? Anytime, yeah. I mean, her low key billionaire. I mean, because like she's like she's not out here flaunting. Yeah, she it. plays it low. Yeah, yeah. Aren't there like famous videos of Rihanna like cleaning her own apartment? Yeah. Yeah. So respect. Yeah. Rihanna, all tour team for sure. All Any billionaire team. who knows like what like Mr. Clean is or something, <laughs> I respect, you know? <laughs> like how many billionaires actually know how to like clean a toilet and do it right? Yeah. Probably yeah. a bunch don't. Yeah. Well, shout out to her. Well, speaking of two opposite ends of the spectrum, well, who they're portraying is the opposite end of the spectrum. Benny, Jonah Hill has a new role. You know, we talked on this, how he's going to uh, portray Jerry Garcia in Martin Scorsese's uh, Grateful Dead biopic. Well, he's also got another role lined up that he's helping produce. He is going to be John Daly, the golfer, in a biopic about the guy's life. Um, my guy's out above the line reported at first. So Jonah Hill, John Daly, collision course. What do you think? Why not? Yeah. I was one of those ones that got sent to me where my automatic reaction is like, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Cause I feel like his character in Wolf of Wall Street, you know, as the accent will be different, the thing, but like totally believable sleazeball. Yeah. 
you know, like a hundred percent believable sleazeball. So right off the bat for Jonah Hill, I like the character. I think he'll play it well. I don't exactly like John Daly as like a guy, but it is an intriguing story and has all these weird, like human elements to it that you can tie in and kind of this weird, like mythological figure in a different sport and stuff like that. So I kind of love it. I think, uh, I'm 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 intrigued. I'm interested. I'll see it. I wonder if this ends with him going to live golf and being like, "Hey, I'd love a cool two hundred million dollars," and I'm just being like, "Nah, good guy, we're good." Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think they'd be eager to get into the Hollywood entertainment game. Mm, so if yeah. they can get one of them on That's their payroll, true. I think they'd be pretty stoked. Actually, you know what's funny? You know when when we all first saw Wolf of Wall Street, we we're like, "Oh, like big Leo vehicle." But you could argue over like the next ten years. Uh, that both Jonah and Margot have had bigger careers. So, like, it's, it, it's like a super interesting, like, divergent path point there. It's the same in music, you know? The shit just runs in waves. Yeah. Can't be at the top forever. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Oh, man. All right. Well, you know, you can't even say that they were at the top because when was the last time the Washington Commanders won a Super Bowl? And Dan Snyder... Two two playoff wins in yeah. the last 25 years, something yeah. like that. So we got some football. And, you know, we only get on here to talk football if, A, the Giants are miraculously having success. Or, or B, there's drama. Or there's drama. And we got all of the drama. Uh, ESPN, with a culmination of their very talented reporters, are reporting that troubled Washington commander's owner, Dan Snyder, told an associate that a uh, while all the pressure is going on to get him kicked out of the league, that he has enough secrets to blow up several NFL team owners, as well as the league office and NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell. I love it. I love when a guy gets cornered like this and he's like trying to punch his way out and everything like that. But I gotta, I want to start the complete reckless speculation game here. We have nothing to lose in this capacity. What do you think the dirt is? Uh, Well, here's the thing. And this is, this is where just living a long life is fun. Yeah. <laughs> because I have no connection to the life of upscale billionaires and corporate people and the life they live. I didn't grow up that way. I chose a very different life and I've had like no exposure to it. Yeah. What I have had exposure to is gangster shit. And <laughs> like after story of like high level business stuff and gangster shit is exactly the same. And this is exactly what some gangster ass dude does when he knows he's about to get locked up, (laughs) when he knows he's about to get his ass kicked, when he knows he ripped off the wrong person. Yes. I'm saying he, for most of this, because you know, usually terrible shit is male. Look at the story (laughs) we're talking about. Um, So, so that's that's just what it seems like to me it seems like some dude who's had a lot of fucking power a lot of influence a lot of money uh who sees you know he's been getting picked on in his mind you know these psychotic minds of these people he thinks he's been getting picked on by other owners and people and they don't see the really good (laughs) things that i do and blah 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 and God knows with the circle of people they have around them, what these guys can convince themselves of, yeah. you know, it's not like there's someone still poking around his crew. That's like, Hey, Dan, <laughs> take it down a peg. All right, yeah. fella. Like no one, no one's allowed to do that anymore there. And and they, they surround themselves with it. So 
uh that's what it reads like to me it reads like you know the heat is really on where he really saw that he could lose his shit it's so you know he's been a public embarrassment for years like even if you have a cursory knowledge of the nfl he's known as like the worst fucking owner and the sleaziest owner and the worst organization it's kind of like well known so when he when he sees himself being taken out of the mix you know he's gonna say this shit and if there is some dirt like i don't know i mean there's just some like rich guy stuff that i'm sure they're gonna manage behind closed doors anyway like that's how this stuff works like it doesn't get him anywhere by embarrassing like 29 other billionaires you know there's some rich guy bars of soap and a sock kind of thing that'll happen to him if that if that goes down so that's what it feels like to me like everybody else like he's just you know scared and you know kind of a kind of a wimp <laughs> and this is how like these types of dudes act like I, I don't know I and I'll never know we'll never know you know I think it's amazing that the NFL owners can't agree on bleeping anything how to handle player suspensions how to handle all of this stuff like there's only two things that they appears that they agree on how do we make this thing worth a hundred billion dollars and let's all get rid of Dan Snyder? Um, <laughs> so it's like those two things come together. Heck, they even got Bezos involved this year to be like, how do we get the hush money up to such a level that this guy yeah. can go quietly into the night? Yeah. Well, I mean, so if that's the case and they've been pandering to him so long, do you think there's, you know, something uh, behind his allegations of him having dirt? Oh, I mean, there's there's a hundred percent dirt. Like I like I don't think that you can accomplish anything of that magnitude financially in this country without having like a little bit of a, a shady practices going on. Um, whether that be like bookkeeping, whether that be whatever happening, um, allegedly, allegedly, sprinkle that everywhere just so that you know I don't need to get black bagged in my front door. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. the NFL is too powerful for all, all that. But no, I mean, like, like I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of bodies buried. You don't build something that big without some stuff going down along the way. I mean, it could even be like, like real, like you hire a private investigator about anyone. You might yeah. turn up like a second family, <laughs> some Robert Kraft, you know, tug job type <laughs> places type stuff going on. It can even be like like things we we don't even consider, yeah. you know. Like, what if someone's secretly doing very altruistic uh, liberal donations? Oh no, that's what he has. On that's him. A, <laughs> <laughs> I super wonder when like, the this guy put money towards diversity. Get him out of here. This guy gave away his entire fortune. Watch, like the Patagonia guy is secretly like the owner of the Seahawks. <laughs> Oh, dude, the Patagonia guy is in like he's in like a cellar right now, like being being tortured for what he did. I don't know what happened to it's him. Not allowed in this America. Oh no, my I'm goodness! Scared. Good thing he can climb mountains because he's gonna have That's to right. he's go gonna... to the top of one to survive. Oh man, I, I super wonder though with the NFL, at what point it's gonna happen as society moves forward. Like at some point, it's not gonna be the like aristocratic thing. Like I feel like they're gonna get to a, a point where. The dollars are, are going to start to be impacted because they don't give a fuck about any social causes or anybody outside of themselves. I, you know, it, it's, it's, you would like to think that. And I'm certainly, let's just take this for example. I turned down, um, I turned down writing, uh, my NFL thing for spin this year mm. because of my objection to the NFL going into this season. I'm yeah. like, you know, I might, 
get suckered into watching it or a fantasy league, but I'm not going to like openly pander to it this year. And apparently I was not the only one who hmm. turned down the article this year. There was a few, there was a handful of people. So, I mean, there is like a sentiment, a growing sentiment. And I do think there's going to be a growing group of people who are going to willingly ignore the league because of that. But I think they know that, you know, um, and I think they've they've read the reports and they know the demographics and they know who they're losing and who they're attaining and they're comfortable with that. And yeah. I think that's where the decision is being made. And it's like they're just like, hey, fuck the NBA audience. We're going for the NASCAR audience uh-huh. and we're going to keep this up. And NASCAR has plenty of fucking fans. Yeah. So I'm afraid like that is probably more realistically the case. It's super interesting in that and. It may not even be those people because there's rumors that they want to have two teams in London and, and two teams in Germany to try to create a whole other division. So maybe maybe they're trying to jump off of the boat. They're like, all right, we're kind of pissing off the like the northeast here a little yeah. bit or like the west coast. Let's kind of move over to people that don't know what our bag is. Let's move over to the far right <laughs> Germans. Oh, good. I work good. Oh, man. Let's get them on board. All right. Wait. Time out. I got to plug in my computer. All right. Sounds good. Even though we're doing this live okay. on the internet. All right. So our our next story that we're going to get into as as Benny works to plug his computer back in, uh, let's talk some baseball. And boy, I got to tell you, this Aaron Judge thing has really got me back into baseball since we have been off. Um, you know, I didn't think that we would ever have a, have a point where the conversation about baseball would get back to like, oh my gosh, this era versus that era and everything like that. Um, but it's been really cool to see uh, the Aaron Judge, Barry Bonds debate, people actually caring, having some sort of uh, feeling about you know the past of baseball versus the present of, of baseball. Um, so to see all of that kind of uh, culminate into now a debate having had Aaron Judge go for 62 home runs, um, questions about Bonds' 73. It's been really cool to see people, um, you know, kind of be like, oh, no, Aaron Judge is the home run king. And then people be like, nah, Barry Bonds is it. So, uh, Benny, while we were away, this all went down. Um, who is your home run king? Just for starters here, Aaron Judge, or do you still rock with Barry? No, nah, it's Barry Bonds. I'm afraid to say, I don't know if I'm in a minority here for Yankees fans, but I am a uh, baseball purist in the sense that I think every era of baseball has done awful and fucked up things and that you could kick most people out of the Hall of Fame if you want. Babe Ruth didn't have to play against a black guy. That probably helped. You know, there's like a lot of shit uh, inside of the context of the arguments that, you know... um, I don't totally agree with. And I also don't think Barry Bonds hit 73 home runs just because he was stronger. You know, like I could go take steroids. I'm not (laughs) hitting a fucking home run. Uh, So, no, I do think Barry Bonds is still the leader. Um, But I think here's the thing about this for me is like, you know me, I like sports as entertainment. And the one thing I was, I can't deny the fact that the summer of 98 I was glued to fucking TVs watching these fucking home run races. I knew these guys were jacked up on steroids, and I would have watched McGuire and Sosa and Bonds hit home runs all day long. Yeah. 
I was like, what does he have now? 66? 67? Can he get to 70? I fucking loved it. And it basically saved baseball and got people interested again. And the one thing that was really obvious and palpable about what just happened was like, I haven't seen that since. And that's why Aaron Judge is like so important right now. It's like, this is what baseball is all about. It's about gigantic, larger than life Yankees going after you know, unbeatable records and things like this. This is what finally draws people in again. And I haven't seen people sit there waiting for a certain players at bats, just, just glued to the fucking TV, waiting to see what's going to happen. And, and, you know, all of a sudden your marginal fans are interested in stuff since I watched Barry Bonds and all these guys go for that chase. So I think it's awesome for baseball and they figured out a way to, to get it, you know, I think the one thing judge does not hold the record, but the one thing I think you can consider with his task being more Ruthian than the others is the fact that Aaron judge hit 20 more home runs than anybody else in the league this year. And none of the other guys in the nineties could say that like everything was boosted. Everything was high. You know, the two 98 and 99 are the years Ken Griffey Jr., everyone's golden boy, hit 56 home runs. Mm. He was doing steroids, too. Sorry. You know, (laughs) so I think uh, that's the cool thing about Judge's record is just his size, being a Yankee, hitting that many more home runs than anybody else and kind of a, you know, a, a low home run, low scoring era. I think that's what's like uh, historically going to be most impressive about it. Kind of came out of fucking nowhere yeah. too, you know. They think that's why it was interesting and and it felt more pure. It yeah. felt more pure as a result. So I loved watching it. I really wanted Judge to break it and all that, but I do think Barry Bonds is still yeah. the home run champion. And in this era of pitching too, I mean, like with like oh, yeah. the shift and everything like that, to almost get the triple crown and all of that stuff, it is, it is, you know, we hear all the time from the past about baseball, about like mythical stuff that happens and it, it gets written about in books and it's blown up larger than life. This was one of those seasons and we saw yeah. it happen in the age of the internet and everything like that. So baseball still has a chance. But they may need to reconsider how they you know, handle the analytics, how they handle the pitching and everything, stuff like that. Get, have it guys in the backyard just playing, and that's what it seemed like Aaron Judge was doing every day, and people effing loved it. Yeah, and it's, it's definitely the truest record. It's, it's, you know, since we've been breaking this home run record, it's the most honest run at Roger Maris's record. You know, like it, yeah. it, based on statistics and history, it is. Um, I just wish everybody else had a little asterisk next to their name or something, you know? And the absolute worst part of of this, when you saw, like, most of the people that were like, oh, Aaron Judge is the home run king, were, like, these, like, older white dudes. And I'm like, all right, come on. Don't be so obvious here with this. Please. Please. Yeah, (laughs) there's a lot to it. There is a lot to it. So, You know, and no one gives a fuck about Roger Maris. That's the thing. It's like, they all... His his name only comes up like once a decade when someone else just comes yeah. comes towards sixty one. You know, I love that his kid was like starting the fire. We would not be having this conversation if his kid didn't get up in front of microphones and be like, "Aaron Judge is the home run king." Nobody was oh, talking yeah. about this, and then Roger. But that Maris was happening in the nineties yeah. too when these guys were breaking the records, and that's why it's always been just this point of contention that's never been flattened out. And I wish that's where I wish baseball would just like 
put a fucking cork in it, yeah. you know, like, but you still have guys getting suspended for steroids. So it's like, is yeah. it actually over? I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? And we'll never know. It's years down the road. We, we may not even know, but let's get into some of this NLDS, ALDS action. Uh, great stuff happening right now. But uh, do we want to pour one out for the Blue Jays? Do we want to pour one out for the Rays? And do, do we want to pour one out for the Mets while we're here? Uh, we can pour one out for the Blue Jays. Yeah. I feel for them. Young mm. team, exciting. I wanted to see what they could do. Uh, the Mets? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Am I pouring one out? No. No, 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 no. They literally changed the rules of baseball to let them buy this team, you know, and let them keep this team in perpetuity. If you get knocked out of the playoffs, ah, fuck you. Your fault. Should have done it better. I don't know. Um, and then the Rays, you know. I actually had this conversation uh, in Boston the other day mm. when, you know, I took a picture of some Boston stuff while I was there and had a couple, a lot of conversations about baseball. And that night the Rays were playing the Red Sox and I had to be real with myself for the first time in a while. I'm like, you know what? Currently, as things stand right now, I dislike the Rays more than I dislike the Red Sox. Wow, I do. Like the Red Sox got some players. Yeah, they got yeah. Devers. They got Bogarts. They got some nice players. I like the uh, cool stadium. You know, uh, mm. you know some history. It's the Red Sox. It's cool. But this is these fucking Rays. You know, this terrible team throwing two two pitch starters, two inning starters, analytics, weird stadium, weird fans, weird city. Like, just no thanks. I preferred when Tampa was just like the bottom of the division you never had to think about them that's what when i preferred them so as much as i respect the rays model and uh you know a small team fighting in the big pond and things like that i respect it i think they're smart but i hate fucking watching it and they've been better than the red sox for a few years now so they're currently the heels i don't feel bad for the rays would you feel better about them if they were playing out of montreal Oh, yeah. Any team that goes to Montreal is going to have my partial fanhood for sure. Yeah, I just want poutine sent to me in the oh, mail. Oh, my gosh. That... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, I don't feel bad for them. The Mets, I mean, classic Mets. You know who I feel bad for when I when I talk about the Mets? Timmy Trumpet? They're fans. Oh. I do. I know a lot of great people who are Mets fans. Yeah. They didn't sign up for it. They just get cock-teased every year. You know, like all these times they... To, they get to August and they feel so hopeful. They get to September, this time October, feeling so hopeful. And it just gets gets ripped from them, you know? I love it. Last episode, we talked about the Timmy Trumpet thing and how quickly they turned on him when <laughs> in the wild card game, they brought him out when Diaz came on and they were losing and they didn't know how to do the Enter Sandman thing like the correct way. Oh, it was oh, awesome. Dude. I told you it was dangerous. <laughs> dangerous road to go down. Oh, you've got to get a couple championships before you can bring the guy to perform on field every single time. But but at this point, man, you know what I'm hoping for now that I live where I live and stuff? I think a Yankees-Phillies would be a lot of fun at this point, you Ooh. know? Let's hmm. let the Phillies get through and have a new 
local rivalry take place, you know? Nah, man. I'm not trying to deal with that Philly stuff in another sport. No, thank you. We get, like, a fall off. Well, not even a fall off because of the Eagles and stuff like that. I don't know. Phillies fans, like, when the Phillies are, are at their peak, they're almost as bad as, as Eagles fans. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not but, kidding. But the New York Yankees versus the Brooklyn Dodgers, you That's know? fun. I like it. Dodgers, like Yankees, it. give me that. Um, any thoughts on the current ALDS NLDS stuff. Uh, Seattle was a great story for a little bit, but uh, yeah, I mean, I you know I'm terrified of these Astros. Yeah. They look like they're on a damn tear, and they got this pitching, and you know this is going to be uh, a tough series. But I, I think the Yankees and Astros are destined to play each other and kind of write this section of history and rewrite the cheating thing. And you know that's kind of just like, especially Judge is still on the team, Altuve. Yeah. You know, the only one you're missing is Correa from the original story. So I, I kind of think Yankees and Astros are on a collision course here for each other. And then, um, you know, as far as the the NL goes, you know, I, I think the Braves, are, you know, still, you know, are, should take this series against the Phillies. They're just a better team. Yeah. But the San Diego thing, you know, I, you know, the Dodgers ran into one of those like, you didn't know what they were, and now we quickly are finding out what they can be yeah. without Tatis. And, you know, they have this kind of mojo about them. They have, like, this star power. And it's everything um, uh, the GM was going for, was kind of having this this team that can really take you in a series and really give you a hard time. So I think that's the one that's intriguing me the most right now is this uh, – fathers versus dodgers series yeah absolutely and anytime you know that ballpark in in san diego is great i'm, I'm i kind of don't know what their fan base is because i haven't had much success to be vocal but if you think back to the 90s they were kind of like a, a vocal fan base when they had like the 20 gwyn thing going stuff like that so i got i gotta say that that downtown area though yeah. in san diego yeah where they have the games yeah it's kind of like like if New Orleans was built in like 2012. Right, exactly. It's kind of got a very annoying feel because. Of <laughs> <laughs> All right. The gas lamp. The gas lamp just, oh yeah. man, it was, was there in, in March. Underwhelming, I thought. Good on that. Yeah, yeah. Good on that. Yeah. But uh, all right, let's move down since we're in the SoCal area of the region. Let's move over to Phoenix and a quick update on a story that we talked about last time we were together. It was just starting to materialize the Robert Sarver situation. By now, you all have probably heard all all about it as he's trying to uh, unposition himself as the head governor slash owner slash CEO of the Phoenix Suns down there in the desert. Um, and we have some have had some speculation about who's going to take over for him, who he's looking at, who he could possibly sell to. A couple names in one ownership group that stood out to me, and it, it brings up a guy we talked about before, Jeff Bezos. And, and, and that, that'd be enough for any situation. Then you add Bob Iger to it and Oracle, Oracle co-founder Larry Ellison. Triple-headed monster coming to the Valley. I think that that could be a game changer for Phoenix as a destination. Yeah. I mean, well, it's been explained to me on podcasts, but I couldn't really understand it because it doesn't work this way with music. Mm. Like Phoenix is not an LA market. Right. When you're a musician, Phoenix is Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine, <laughs> you know, but it, it's not like as, con you know, but I listen to these podcasts and you hear like your Michael Wilbons or Bill Simmons and they're like, Oh yeah. When you live in LA, you could, 
take your little plane to Phoenix and be yeah. there in like 20 minutes. And, you know, so it seems like it's a little bit of like an LA uh, rich people playground kind of thing going on. Yeah. Which I didn't realize. hundred you know? percent. Um, so of course, like, you know, you have this, you know, the one thing that's always stunning about Phoenix when I was there and when I'm there is like, you can build anything anywhere. They just made the place. It's like it appeared in like the 1970s. There's never traffic because all the highways are like 12 fucking lanes big. This is what cities look like when they were built for cars and lots of people. You know, it's like the it's basically the farthest thing from an East Coast city. Yeah. So you have the opportunity in places like this to build like mega stadiums with their own pathways to go there and these crazy complexes and all the things you really can't pull off in the East Coast are not easily. Yeah. So I think it's a very intriguing place. It's a huge team and a huge market. And anytime they're good, you know, Suns fans are out in droves. So it makes a perfect amount of sense. Yeah, you know. It's very interesting because I work with a bunch of people that have been involved with the Suns and still currently are. And that trip to San Diego and that whole like little Southern California beach area is like some of them have like like second houses there. And it's like it's like a very quick trip as, as an East Coaster. I'm like, if it's not two hours, I don't think that that's a quick trip. But right. when you're like Midwest or like out there, it's like, oh, four hours. We can do that for the weekend. Oh, it's like, okay. Easy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So. Four hours, I'm like, I'm in Canada. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but interesting situation going on there. Uh, Phoenix reloaded, ready for, for this year and everything and stuff like that. But let's get into the reason why we're here today. NBA season preview. We're back just in in time for the new season to start. Um, very excited about a bunch of different things. But Benny, do you want to get into this NBA GM survey? I do. Well, it's a little yeah. boring, but sure. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll we'll spice it up a little bit. So every year before the start of the season, the NBA does exactly what I just said. They survey the general managers of every single team to find out who they're feeling, what everyone is thinking ahead of the upcoming season. So uh, we start at the mountaintop. Uh, last year, the Golden State Warriors won the championship. And oh my gosh, I, in all the planning for this, we didn't even discuss Draymond Green, which I love. <laughs> um, sure. But NBA GMs this year believe that the Bucks, 43% of NBA GMs think that the Bucks are the favorite to win the NBA championship. And I don't know about this. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a tough one. I think, you know, the going, you know, convention right now is the idea that the Bucks would have won the championship if Chris Middleton was healthy. Mm. So they brought back essentially the same roster to, to do that. Um, you know, but that's where I disagree with like essentially the same roster to a point. I mean, I thought that DiVincenzo for Ibaka swap was a little useless. Yeah. Uh, and I'm still not knowing if Ibaka is going to ever give them anything good. And, DiVincenzo went to the team that's currently favored yeah. uh, and probably going to play a nice role there. Um, I also see like Brooke Lopez, who I didn't exactly get more faith in last season, you know, seeing his injury problems and what he looked like when he came back. So sort of the role situation in Milwaukee did change a little, and it's not exactly the same. I mean, you are bringing back Drew, Giannis, Chris, Portis, you know, like yeah. this like solid group that, you know, should be as good as anyone in the East. But the thing that I don't agree with the GMs is I don't understand why this puts them over the Warriors. 
Um, I, I think who, the addition of Joe Ingles, people like GMs love him around the league a lot. So I think that, but but that's not till November or Christmas time. So yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. So it's so that's where the Warriors to me have some net positives yeah. just in uh, youth, you know, and that's where I think you're looking at a Warriors team that now has uh, Clay Thompson you know, on his second year off injury, and he should look a lot more comfortable than he did. Uh, Wiseman looks good in preseason and still looks sharp and can help with those loony minutes. And then Kaminga and Moody both should take steps and adding DiVincenzo and Curry's a different player. The only thing that, you know, uh, oh, and Jordan Poole, obviously, (laughs) the punchy, you know, who seems like a fucking you know, wild offensive player to watch. I mean, like really, really fun stuff. So, you know, the way I look at it right now, I I actually see the Warriors a little higher than the Bucks currently. Yeah, I do too. I, you know, I would have the Bucks even with the Boston Celtics right now because I think that there's a lot of wild cards. My, I would have it Warriors number one, man. And honestly, on like the three spot are dead even. Brooklyn Nets, Boston Celtics, Milwaukee Bucks. Because I know that you're not so high on your Nets. Dude, I bleep and love what they're doing here, man. Well, here, here's the thing where I'm not going to put the Nets into this category, especially yes. not now. Yeah. But the point of contention I did have with this list is why are 21% of GMs voting for the Clippers? Like, what if we're really basing these off-seasons on paper... Yeah for teams that haven't done anything, then the Nets should be getting 20% of the votes. You know, that's where yeah. it's, it's it's like if we're imagining this season as like, oh, if everything works out perfectly for the Los Angeles Clippers, yeah. sure, they may have a chance. But they haven't shown anything with this roster telling me that they can win a championship right yeah. now, just as the Nets didn't. So I feel like if the Clippers are in that category, the Nets need to be in the same one. It, it's a... It's a beautiful team on paper who has shown you absolutely nothing. Yeah. Right? We know more about Denver, who has been missing right. Jamal Murray, and they, they should exactly. be getting more love on this list than the LA Clippers. But with, with all agree. with all of that said, I think you can't sleep on the Clippers because like they could potentially have a, a five of Kawhi seems healthy and, and in a, a great mindset. Paul George is already like I'm number two to Kawhi, which is what you love to see. Norman Powell, Robert Covington, John Wall, love that on paper. There's a lot of ifs in that five you just <laughs> yeah. said. Like, Robert Covington is older. You know what I yeah. mean? You don't exactly. Like, John Wall, we have no idea yeah. what the long-term production for over a full season is going to be. Kawhi and Paul George both have just his littered injury troubles. Paul George with the playoff troubles. Like, I don't know. It's I'm I'm very intrigued by it, but it certainly does not seem like a sure thing to me. And then... I don't understand. I hate to say it. Yeah. I don't even want to say it. It makes me upset to say it. But the fact that the team you said, the Denver Nuggets, and also the Sixers, yeah. just didn't get one vote, a little percentage that way with the kind of stuff they're bringing back. I think there's some other teams in the mix here. Yeah. And let, that brings us a perfect segue to go down the Eastern Conference. So like you mentioned, they have Philadelphia third, Brooklyn fourth, Miami fifth. Which I mean, like I and Cleveland six. So you have this six here that is like, I really feel like they're just kind of rolling the dice and however it came out happened. I think Cleveland is this year a little bit better than Miami. Uh, 
I mean, if, if you want to read into Miami having like Lowry back, they, they picked up Jovic, who I think is going to have like a Doncic like rookie season and could be a big factor for them. Um, but Philadelphia, I mean, people loved what they've done this offseason. Uh, they had PJ Tucker as one of the best acquisitions uh, to only pick them third. And Boston, I know on paper, once again, on paper has a lot to love, but they've got leadership questions. That's right. I think there's going to be surprises in each of these. And yeah. I think, uh, I, I think the, the, the biggest one for the Eastern conference for me is the Raptors who yeah. I consider probably a top six team. Who's going to be in the playoffs without the play in, which to me means one of the Miami heat, the Atlanta Hawks, the bulls, the Cavs, the Knicks are going to be on the outside looking yeah. in. I mean, I think the Knicks are going to be on the outside looking in regardless. But, yeah, I mean, when when you brought that up, um, you know, I think a lot of their success, uh, Fred Van Lee, it's great. Can Scotty Barnes take that jump? If he's in the most improved player conversation, then they're in the 6-4 to four range. Yeah, no, I think that's like a, a solid team. Brought in Otto Porter, like a, a couple interesting pieces. They're long and – at the bare minimum, you know every team who plays the Raptors is going to have a hell of a night trying to score some points. So I have a lot of faith in that team. And I think Atlanta not being included in there is more people are not sure that Trey Young can be the best player on a, a team that is a top four seed. Um, but if, if he proves that he is takes that next jump to the next echelon, then Atlanta's right up there because I think yeah. DeJounte Murray on defense is huge. Atlanta to me is one of the bigger variable teams on, yeah. on this side in the East where, you know, I could see them by game 30, game 40 being like, all right, fuck it. We got to trade John Collins. Like this, this ain't the year, yeah. you know, or by that time them figuring it out. But, uh, you know, you don't have a lot of recent historical precedents for two guard sets, especially smaller guards and, and that, working in a very functional way without yeah. you know a lot of pick and roll and stuff so i think that's where people have are intrigued but have more question marks about the hawks let's move over to the western conference and i, I the, the the gms have me scratching my head here so their list is they got the clippers one golden state two i don't know how you can even do that phoenix three denver four memphis five dallas six minnesota six L.A. Lakers, eight, like, that's got to be the LeBron factor there. And New Orleans, nine. I would have New Orleans o over the Lakers in an absolute heartbeat. you got to put the champs up top. I don't care what L.A. says about all of this. Like, you got to have Golden State, number one. And then Denver and Memphis over Phoenix right now. Phoenix has a lot of questions to answer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, in the West here, we're definitely going to have, like, one of these teams – who everyone is predicting to be very good being not very good. Yeah. And I think the teams in that quarter category currently are Phoenix. And I know I, I think it's Phoenix. I think it's the Clippers and I think it's the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm. I think these are the teams that I think have enough question marks and are, uh, you know, Clippers aren't poised for a regression yeah. because of, you know, where they started. But I think, Memphis is poised for a little bit of a regression, and so is Phoenix because of the current situation. And that, to me, moves up some teams that uh, people aren't considering as locks for the top six. I mean, I think Denver is a lock for the top six. Yeah. 
I think Minnesota is pretty fucking close to a lock for the top six. I don't know what they're going to do in the playoffs, but that seems like a great regular season team to me. (laughs) That's going to roll through a lot of teams with injury troubles and stuff like that. And so I do think we're looking at like one of Phoenix, Memphis, maybe Dallas, uh, one of these teams kicking into the, into the play in tournament. Yeah. Minnesota is top five, top four. If Anthony Edwards can take that next step, he's kind of like been a mixed bag in dur- during the preseason. Um, but yeah, yeah, like, as you said, like the Gobert acquisition w- was huge, but I-, I really think that their ability to like be elite kind of hinges on Anthony Edwards taking the next step. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that, but I have full confidence in Anthony Edwards mm. taking the next step. That's that that that's like a dude in the league right now that I have the fewest <laughs> concerns about in in a lot of ways. I was meaning to ask you, what's your question marks about Memphis? Jaw staying healthy? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things about Memphis where I just like I see their interior presence. Yeah. I see Adams again, you mm-hmm. know, where we're going into the preseason where like, you know, one of these starting spots is gonna be split between uh, you know, Aldama and Brandon Clark. Yeah. Um, yeah, I see. I have a hard time trusting what I see from John Morant over 82 games in a playoff series. I haven't seen it yet. I have a hard time believing it. There's just something about this team that feels like, uh, you know, it feels like the Hawks a couple years ago. Like, I feel like they um, overplayed their potential a little in a certain season and they're just due for a regression here. Yeah. All right, so if we're doing it right now, NBA Finals prediction on the eve of the season, what are you feeling? Yeah, I got to stay boring, I'm afraid. I, I, you know, I the only other team right now I see, like, coming close to the Bucks is the Sixers, and I'm not fucking saying that just because I don't <laughs> want to. So, <laughs> so I got to be boring, and I kind of got to go with the crowd here, and I, I think it's Bucks warriors I really want that. I'm going to rock with you, too. Uh, my, my gosh. Milwaukee in, in April. The Bay in May. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be so much fun here. Um, and then just a quick uh, individual things. Uh, the MVP survey yeah. here. Luka Doncic, 48% of the vote. Giannis coming in at number two. Joel, number three. Steph Curry, number four. Uh, I think the M- MVP this year is going to be Doncic's or Embiid's to lose. Yeah, I agree with you on Embiid. I think that's the setup here. See, see now for me, for Luca to win MVP this year, Dallas has to be what four? They got to be just a playoff team, a top six, right? Mm, I I think you got to be a little bit higher than that for him to get MVP. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he like let's say bare minimum, Dallas has to be like a you know fifty five win team for yeah. him to win MVP. Um, and that's where I don't totally believe in Dallas to be that team. Yeah. So as I believe in Luca and his ability and, you know, the off season, you know, in the Olympics and, or the, the international games where he looked great and which will probably lead to him being in better shape and stuff. <laughs> uh, I don't have that much faith in Dallas and that's where I don't have as much faith in his MVP standing. And I think, uh, the thing Embiid has on his side is the fact that he's come close already and he's had a couple seasons where people already thought he should have won it. So I think if Philly is in like the top two or three in the East and Embiid actually plays a full, you know, 65 plus games, 
I think he's he's kind of set up for it to be his year. Yeah, and Giannis has been a little bit too... People are viewing him as a little bit too untouchable now, and that makes me a little bit nervous. Yeah. I, I love that he's in the conversation, but... The, yeah, the, waiting for the other shoe to yeah, drop, right? 100%. I, I know. Um, I'm scared, but I am too. Let's move uh, to most likely to have a breakout season. This is where we kind of separate the men from the boys a little bit. They think Evan Mobley most likely to have a breakout season. Cade uh, Cunningham and Anthony Edwards tied at number two. And number four, uh, Zion Williamson... Um, when, 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 and when you look at, at those four names, if Zion Williamson like propels this team to where they can be, and a oh, man, he's looking lean, he's looking tough, and he's looking good. Um, I think that this is his to lose. Yeah, I actually agree. Yeah, I think uh, I think Zion looks looks strong, and I think like this is <laughs> definitely like his year to just remind everyone of like two years ago when we were like, holy shit, who the fuck is this guy? You know, Um, I think there's going to be a lot of that. I do have a weird feeling about a couple point guards in the league. People are looking past. I really like the Kings to be, you know, like uh, in the mix for the play in game and in the mix for the playoff year. And I think the Aaron Fox is going to have a breakout season and be a lot improved. Mm. And my boy Jalen Brunson here in New York, I think it's a great fit. Mm. And I think like Jalen Brunson's going to have a a step above year and the Knicks are actually going to, you know, win 40 plus games and he could be in contention for it too. Now the, the thing with the Knicks and Jalen Brunson like that is, uh, if if Jalen Brunson is able to make Julius Randle back to his current form or even better, that's how they're going to have to have the chance. If he can elevate guys, now we know he's good, we know he can step up, but can he elevate the guys around him? And that's putting a lot on a guy like Jalen Brunson. I mean, like we saw at Villanova, how he was able to step guys up, but we haven't seen that in the NBA. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that totally, but it's a totally different story here with him in Dallas. Like, you know, Dallas, his job was quite different. Yeah. You know, it's just to service this this one guy and optimize him. You know, I think he's really brought into New York and a Thibs thing to be that, like, I just, it's like when the, just the perfect guy gets hired for the perfect role. And if you were like, who in the NBA could be Tom Thibodeau's undersized, lunch pail, 40-minute-a-game point guard who can just, run this offense exactly the way he wants with no mistakes this and that. I'd be like ah, Jalen Brunson maybe hmm. you know and it's just like something about the fit just just really works for me so he's like Bulls Taj Gibson 2.0 <laughs> no he's I mean I'm not saying he's Derrick Rose yeah. but it's like you know if you're talking about Tom Thibodeau knows how to optimize undersized point guards yeah it's true that, that he has a history of doing so you know ah Bullish Benny on the on the Knicks over here. All right. I know. I know. It's, it's, <laughs> I don't like how high I am on the Knicks and the Sixers going into the offseason. Oh, my gosh. But I think they're both quite good. All right. Let's move. Uh, let's evaluate some GMs here. Uh, best moves made in the offseason uh, by team. Uh, GMs voted Cleveland Cavaliers number one with 41% of the vote, uh, which is – the distance between the Cavs and the Timberwolves and the Sixers here is, like, too much. Uh, so, number one on this list, Cleveland Cavaliers, tied for second, Wolves and 76ers, and then also tied for second here. Uh, GM's high on what the Utah Jazz have done. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing about these polls is, like, the Cavaliers and what they did is, it's you know, it's still a paper decision. Yeah. We don't know how this is going to play out. They and, look good. And, and the fact that the Cavs 
are being looked at uh, so much more favorably than the Timberwolves doesn't make a lot of sense to me because they both did the same thing. And actually the T-Wolves are probably in a little bit better of a position to start to win now. So uh, in that conversation, I think the Timberwolves are being a little underlooked. But as far as the best offseason to me, it's the fucking Jazz. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, if you didn't – here is the thing with the Jazz, that they've that the problem they've had for two or three years. It's just been an identity problem. Yeah. You know? And once that, that, that team that won 65 regular season games walked into the playoffs and just didn't have that, it needed to be blown up right after that. And, it, you know, and last year was all just kind of like some saving face and, you know, one last year. And and someone came in and optimized those two players. I mean, more than – did anyone imagine going into the offseason that one of Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell could yield three to five unprotected first-round draft picks? Right. <laughs> no. No one would have said that was even possible. You would have been like, fuck, no, someone's <laughs> going to give that up for Rudy Gobert. And they did. And now Utah is like in the best rebuilding situation of anyone yeah. in the league. So if anybody, uh, you know, flipped their chances of having a, a good next decade more than Utah, you know, like literally you went from a team completely stuck to now a team with a great chance to get the alien. Victor. Wemby. You know, and, <laughs> huh? No, he, he he goes on social media as Wemby, and I'm just waiting for that to catch on. Oh, Wemby? Wembyana, yeah, Wemby. Yeah, I'm going with the alien <laughs> still. If if he's if it's not offensive, I don't know. Might be. Oh man, yeah, no. Like the interesting thing uh, about the Jazz when it comes to getting into that sweepstakes is, I still think that they may have too much talent because, like, when you go down this lineup, I mean, if you compare them next to a team that's like really trying to get to the bottom in, like, Houston, right, as, as they continue their, their rebuild. I mean, you got Lloyd Markin, and you got Colin Sexton, you got Jordan Clarkson, um, and, you know, we're a week away from the season, and they're still on the team, so it looks like that they're going to stick there. Um, that's still a team that can be very competitive in, in the Western Conference. I mean, they, they, they've added a, a Taylor Horton Tucker that's looking to kind of, like, resurrect his career a little bit. There's a lot of nice pieces that Danny Ainge has collected, so maybe not a full rebuild here in Yeah, but Utah. I feel like if any of those pieces shows what they can show, they're just, they're gone. Yeah, that's true. You know, like, like, like what is the point of Mike Conley or yeah. Jordan Clarkson or any of these guys being on this team? Yeah. You know, I think... Uh, uh, that they're gonna have a heck of a heck of a fire sale towards the uh, uh, towards the trade deadline as well. Seems very Cavs year after, e even two years after LeBron to me. All right, let's. Right. If you're let gonna blow it up. Blow it the fuck up. Right. You know. Um. All right, let's look at Rookie of the Year, shall we? Um. I was watching this guy the other night. The guy that GMs voted most likely to win Rookie of the Year, Paolo Banquero, looked pretty decent. Uh, they also voted uh, Keegan Murray and Jabari Smith in their top three. So one, two, three, Boncaro, Murray, uh, Smith. I think that the person that is going to win Rookie of the Year isn't even on the board, and that's Jaden Ivey. Oh, I love that we're both <laughs> pivoting, but in different ways. I also believe it's going to be someone not on the board. Who? But not Jaden Ivey. Yeah. I believe it's going to be Benedict Mathurin. Oh, look at that. You listen to Zach Lowe. Huh? <laughs> No, no, I'm watching this guy yeah. blow up the preseason. Yeah. I mean, 
this is a an extremely talented offensive player on Denver, right? What's that? On Denver? Indiana. Indiana, okay. And on a team that's just going to fucking load him up with yeah. shots this year. I mean, they got no one, and they're trying to lose, and <laughs> they have this really talented wing who can put up, and, and I really think, like, you know, he's going to start pushing 20 points a game, and and Orlando is actually going to try to win some games, mm, yeah. um, you know, and there's a chance like Paolo has some nights where he's uh, 12 points, seven rebounds. And, you know, Franz Wagner, Franz Wagner went off or, mm. you know, Carter had a bigger game or Cole Anthony went off. You know, Orlando's a better team yeah. who's actually, you know, starting to to fight towards the bottom end of that, uh, you know, the play in stuff. Indiana. I think, you know, shortly into the season is going to be a true tank job. And I think Matherin's going to be the, the biggest benefactor of said tank job. I mean, when, when you look at Indiana like that, um, you got Halliburton. You still have Buddy Heald. You still have Miles Turner. Him. That's a decent crew. That's a, that, that, that's a decent crew there. I in, guess I'm in the logic here that uh, Indiana is going to see themselves as the 35-40 win team they yeah. are. And, you know, Miles Turner and Buddy Heald both will not be there by midseason. And they're going to be in the, the alien sweepstakes as well. <laughs> I love it. See, every team in the NBA this year is so interesting. I was watching Orlando the other night. Cole Anthony looks like he's taken the step. Um, and I think Boncaro, uh, he, he was beating the Grizzlies so hard on the backdoor cut the other night. I think as he tries to find his feet in, in the league, that's how he's going to get his start. And then he's only going to get more confident from there. So Orlando. There's really, there's really only a few teams most of which are in the Western Conference that are going into this year saying we don't stand a chance. And I'd have to say that's Utah, that's Oklahoma City, that's San Antonio, and that's Houston. And on the Eastern side, what's interesting is, you know, you look at, like you said, Indiana or Detroit or Orlando, uh, Washington. Um, Those are all teams that if everything breaks right, could be in the play-in tournament conversation midway into the season. And, like, that's that's what's fascinating to me is what teams like that are going to do. Yeah. You know, there's clearly no chance that they're going to win the championship, but are they going to, you know, try to build and keep going, or are they going to tank and try to get one of these top five picks? It's, yeah. it's crazy valuable next year. It, as many have been speculating, a race to the bottom of the league – um, that will be very interesting to, to see. So as we start on the league, we're both going with Golden State-Milwaukee meeting in the finals. Um, do you think that this Draymond Green story is is going to linger throughout? Do you think he's going get, to get, get traded by the deadline? Or do you think by the time we get to November and he's back with the team and, and they're rolling, we're going to have forgot that he even punched Jordan Poole in the face? Uh you know, there's a lot of ways this can break, of yeah. course, and a lot of it has to do with how Draymond plays, how Jordan Poole plays, and how the Warriors play. Yeah. Um, you know, if the Warriors come out of the gates and everybody looks good and everyone's in their roles, then no one's going to talk about the punch because now they're just, you know, going towards the thing everybody wants in the end. But uh, if anything goes wrong, sure, that's going to be a huge storyline, especially with uh, Draymond's uh, impending free agency. But I guess the 
by historical precedence, I'm leaning towards this situation being figured out because it's the Warriors and it's Draymond and they have a a history of these things where you'd be like, oh, that's a game changer. That's going to fuck this team up. That's going to fuck this up. And somehow Bob Myers and Draymond and everybody seem to have enough meetings behind closed doors that are useful because they get over this stuff a lot. Um, and I think everybody realizes the best way for a championship is having Draymond Green and Jordan Poole on the same team at the same time. Yeah. So I, I have a feeling that one actually works itself out inexplicably. This will be forgotten because this will all be content. Jordan Poole will go on Draymond Green's podcast and, and it'll <laughs> right. be the highest rated thing he's ever had. Yeah, yeah. But the we're, we're going to stop. It'll be called the Had It It Taste podcast. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're going to still be talking about the Lakers and Russell Westbrook long after we've forgotten about this. And this has just been a, a weird situation in the preseason. Um, Russ claiming that he's always stood outside of the team huddles and stuff like that when, when that's complete bullshit. We have seen him time and time again be a guy trying to lead the huddle. So I think he's just a case of, hey, if I'm not leading the huddle, I don't give a fuck. And Patrick Beverly is coming in here and trying to take in that role so um what do you make of russell westbrook uh year two of this drama in los angeles i mean i i don't fall for it like russell westbrook's in the kyrie irving category for mm. me now we we know exactly who he is <laughs> okay like he's he's made no bones about it we know exactly who he is i'm not waiting for a change yeah and no i don't think russ is going to be a useful reserve player it's not who he is. It's not who he's ever going to be. And uh, I think he's going to lose minutes, and this is going to turn into a fucking thing. Uh, it has to. I don't know how else it's going to turn. And, um, you know, the Lakers would be well-suited to get that situation sorted out as quickly as humanly possible. Yeah, they've got to. They've got to. Because I just see a situation where – this lingers and then you waste it unless this is all part of LeBron's big scheme to try to get Victor Victor. You know, this is, this is where I think we give LeBron too much credit. It's like, sure. He's a puppet master. Sure. He can get like, Oh, let me bring uh, J.R. Smith back on this team or something like that. Like he's got some pull, but to think like Russell Westbrook is, can be controlled by LeBron. Like Russell Westbrook is, his own meteor he's his own entity like like these guys can't control (laughs) each other you know so i i don't think this is a mastermind job by lebron did you uh did you happen to pick up the keys don't they not even have like even if they tank (laughs) don't they not even have their pick I, I so I don't even think yeah. they can be in the Victor sweepstakes. I think they have two, but they've they've seemed to be working. I think them it's twenty seven and yeah. twenty nine are yeah. the only first rounders they have, and those are the ones they're dangling to try to get Miles Turner and Buddy Hield and guys like that. So no Lakers. Uh, <laughs> I think you got to find a John Wally home for Russell Westbrook <laughs> as quickly as you can. By the way, I I, I didn't get a chance to ask you this. Did you pick up uh, the keys to that $30 million mansion that Russ left behind that he said he was going to give to me? I and, didn't, but oh. I squatted it for one night. Oh, cool. I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. I made but... a hot pocket. I took a shit. <laughs> Use the hot tub. Use it was hot quite tub. nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, playing ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tuna podcast at gmail.com. Please do. We're on all the social platforms Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the tune up HQ. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're having fun over here. The videos are coming back your way, about to flood your timeline. Um, if you want to follow Big Man, he is at Benny Horowitz on Instagram. I'm at Danny Gallagher. Benny, got anything else? 
Let's get back, get back to it. The winter's coming. We gotta love everybody. Jackie Moon it, you know? Every day, all day. The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to The Tune-Up. <laughs>